Welcome to Firefox. Here we go. I forgot. Oh, one of these days I'm going to learn. Welcome to Firefox News Online. America's number one internet radio and internet video broadcast. The rules are very simple. No personal attacks, threats, or hate speech will be tolerated at any time. If you commit to these acts, you will be removed from the chat room. And if we're using a phone line, the same rules apply. Also, bear in mind that this is a roundtable discussion format. So please, no cross-talking during the broadcast. And finally... The views and opinions that will be expressed in this broadcast are that of the host and those who call in and do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of anyone else or this broadcasting service. The use of media materials is protected by the Fair Use Clause of the U.S. Copyright Act of 1976, which allows for the rebroadcast of copyrighted materials for the purposes of commentary, criticism, and education. Firefox News Online Productions and its news division adhere to the criteria of the Fair Use Clause 100% across the board. And now, on with tonight's broadcast. America and to the Republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. And now, America. It is time for Talking Points. The views and opinions expressed in Talking Points are that of the host and the host alone, and do not reflect the views and opinions of anyone else for this broadcasting service. Ah, what a tangled web we weave when first we practice not only to deceive, but to censor. The subject of my Talking Points tonight has to do with the censoring of conservatives and the pushback from the White House that could have Twitter and all of social media in general going (coughs) choking. 
Yes. Now, I've been placing Firefox News Online, its production company, you know, the parent company that I created for this broadcast, and of course, the social media outlets like YouTube, Twitter, and Facebook are some of the primary ones I dealt with for many years. In fact, Facebook and Twitter I still use. YouTube, not so much anymore. And here's why. As many of you may recall, I went to share the State of the Union address on YouTube. CNN claimed copyright, and I was placed in YouTube jail for 90 days. Now, the feed that I was sharing was, of course, Fox News channels, not CNNs. So how can someone claim copyright to another one's feed? Since then, I've learned I can use the White House direct feed, which is public domain and can be used by anyone. The same with the Congress and the Senate. Having said that, I don't use YouTube anymore for my live broadcasting because of the last straw move they pulled, and that is, of course, putting me in YouTube jail. Facebook is another inconvenience. And let me explain what I mean. I would place the links for this broadcast on my social media pages that are on Facebook. I have the Facebook page, FFNOIBN, which stands for Firefox News Online Internet Broadcasting Network. Now, I have the journalist page, Firefox News Online Journalist. I would share them there. And, of course, I have my direct main page under my own name. Now, each of these pages are directly tied to my main account. But yet, for some oddball reason, Facebook decided I was spamming myself. Oh, really? Spamming myself. That's a really funny, funny, funny situation. I mean, it's fucking hilarious. Now, I haven't had any real trouble with Twitter. No trouble with Twitter at all. Because of past censorship issues with other social media outlets, I decided to limit my sharing on Twitter. In fact, I've barely responded to anyone at all. Except for today, I responded to the president's tweets, or at least one of them anyway. And, of course, you know, I was very respectful. What I am disturbed by is that Twitter decided to invoke a fact-checking system, and you'll never guess who uh, fact-checked the president on what he said regarding vote-by-mail in relation to the possibility of voter fraud. The checkers were, among others, CNN, The Washington Post, just to name a few. So President Trump, and I love this, decided, you know what, enough's enough. So he put them on notice. He told the social media giants that this 
is the last straw kind of attitude. I mean, he let them have it. And either he has or he will be signing an executive order in regards to social media because he's tired of the censorship of conservatives. He really is tired of it. We conservatives have been censored so much over the last several years, especially in the years of President Trump's first uh, term in office, that we're being censored out of our boots. So, you know what? I'm all for what President Trump has in mind as far as censoring the censors, namely social media. You want to play these games with conservatives? You want to take their statements and misinformation them, fact check them half to death, well then you better be prepared for one hell of a blast from the past because baby there's a big shitstorm coming and social media is in the eye of it. And finally in my talking points, today they attempted to launch a SpaceX rocket with two astronauts aboard from the Kennedy Space Center in Cape Canaveral, Florida. But unfortunately, weather was not being very cooperative, so it has been postponed until Saturday. Firefox News Online, as much as I would like to cover this, will be taking down the studio equipment on Friday. All will be transferred to the new studio location June 1st, and Lord willing, and the creek don't rise, we should be on the air that night. Hopefully, things will happen. I will let you know what's going on. My cell phone will still have internet access, so I will at least go on facebook.com slash F-F-N-O-I-B-N. That's facebook.com slash F-F-N-O-I-B-N. I-B-N, and I will post updates regarding the status of Firefox News Online. Okay? In the meantime, my friends, use the hashtag F-F-N-O-P, hashtag F-F-N-O-P, and trend this broadcast all over the globe on social media right now. And with that having been said, it is now time, as always, for the rest of the story. Sorry, ladies and gentlemen, for the delay. Unfortunately, I miscalculated returning to the desk. All right. Let's see if we can't do this, even though I'm really, really, really wasn't sure if I should do this or not. Nah, what the hell? What have I got to lose? Welcome. <laughs> I mean, I figure what the hey, you know? I've got nothing really uh, big to do with this time of night. Much. Welcome to Firefox News Online, your source for insanity, your source for fun, 
and your source for news and topic discussion better than anyone else on the Internet, bar none. Now, before I open, 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 before I open, yeah, before I, mm-hmm, before I open the phone lines, <sighs> well, maybe I should give you the phone number, huh? That would help, right? <laughs> Three, I'm having, I'm, I'm having fun today. I really am. Three four seven nine four five five seven four seven. Basement dwelling, bottom feeding, dweeb trolls need not call because you know you won't get far. So don't waste my time or yours. And if you really think you you can get away with something, just make sure you uh, pass around the bong a little longer. No, in fact, a lot longer. Oh, and by the way, tomorrow morning, for all the basement-dwelling, bottom-feeding dweebs, trolls, be sure to, when you get up in the morning, wait till about mid-morning, and then smoke a bong full, as George Carlin once said, smoke a bong full of Fruit Loops, go back to bed and watch the mid-morning movie. That's probably more your speed, but just make sure that while you're living in your mommy's basement, you tell her, hey, Mom, come down here. I need milk for my coffee. I need to milk you. We have that out of the way now. <laughs> Joining me on the phone line from Louisiana is Mike. How you doing, bud? Oh, boy. This is one of those nights when you're just wacky. Well, hey, listen, I'm entitled to it. Mm-hmm. I'm entitled to have fun. I didn't say how much, but I'm entitled. <laughs> so yeah, you can't do serious all the time, right? You gotta. If you start off with a little bit of laughter, that's a great way to start it off. It really is. I mean, shit. I don't play an hour's worth of, of music, and I don't. Waste my, I don't waste people's time and energy with 30 to 45 minute cl- uh, clips and put people to sleep. Hell, that would put me to sleep. And unlike the mainstream media, I ain't going to sit here and tell you bullshit all night long. Because if I sit here and start telling everybody that tunes into my broadcast nothing but a bunch of bullshit, then what's the point of getting on the air? Hmm? Well, I mean, you can ask the same thing about the the, the impeachment hearings because all that was, was bullshit. Yep. Tell me about it. But, you know, on on this censoring of, you know, the Internet, uh, of of the social media, what they're failing to understand is the first word 
in that in that uh, uh, term is the word what? Social. When you're being social, you're being nice, cordial. You know, you're not doing anything. You know, too bad. You're being friendly. In other words, this is not what they're doing. Is not being social now. When he hears Twitter, and look, he's he's seen Twitter do this stuff to him because the president has because he has he has over you know millions, tens of millions, maybe maybe not that many, but you you know you get what I'm saying. He has a lot of followers on Twitter, and they've been kind of throttling him, throttling uh, his followers from getting his tweets and all that stuff. Now, I've been getting his tweets, but, you know, I I just don't – there are a lot of people that haven't, and that's the thing. And we, I've been wait, I've been waiting for them, for somebody to do something like this with this executive order, you know, against Twitter. Now, I, I understand that Obama wasn't going to do something like this because they think the same way. You know, Obama and Zuckerberg and Jack Dorsey and, you know, you know, all think the same way. They're progressive liberals, you know, and they think the same way. But that's that's the deal. You, I, I understand they're, they're – I've said it before, and people don't agree with me, but I've said it before. They are – Public, com- they're they're a private company. Well, I think Facebook's a, somewhat of a public company because I believe if you have the money, you can buy s- their stock. If I'm not mistaken, Twitter, I'm not so sure about. But these companies, yeah, they're private companies, but they don't understand what they've created. Yeah, well, Mike, as as my understanding is, Facebook and Twitter are both publicly traded companies on the on the stock exchange. Oh, okay, okay, okay. So I sit corrected. I sit corrected. Right, I sit corrected. Yeah, they're both publicly traded. But Mike, let me explain something to you. Okay, and this is something that, that everyone across America needs to, needs to understand. Their terms of service should never trump, no pun intended, the Constitution. These companies were, fa- were founded in the United States. America has a Constitution. And that First Amendment says freedom of speech, freedom of the press, and yet conservatives are being censored on social media left and right. And to me, that, you know, it it just doesn't make sense. Okay, you want terms of service? Fine. But don't sit there and say to me and everybody else who happens to be a conservative, we can say whatever we want, but you can't. That's, cons- that's censorship. Either you support the Constitution or you support... You support 
try that again. <laughs> you support communism. Because that's, that's so basically what, George. what these social media outlets are doing. Yeah. So you got to watch those eye teeth, George. I know. Every time I turn around, my tongue's blocking the eye teeth, and I can't see what I'm saying. <laughs> but it's yes, a terrible that's... thing. I know, but, you know, that's, that's life in the fast lane. Well, yeah. And that's what they... That's what these guys don't understand is they've created the public square, the Internet public square. Yeah, yeah, they, their fiduciary responsibility is to their, uh, to their, and I don't want to use those words, but that's the only way I can describe it. Their fiduciary responsibility is to their stockholders, but... And most of their stockholders are liberal, but that flies, and those uh, terms of service flies straight in the face of the Constitution, which is they've deemed that these terms of service are fiduciarily, I don't want to use that big word, but again, are, you know, are worth it. Now, I've been waiting for the president to do something like this, you know, with this executive order. Because if they want to be treated, they're starting to be wanting, acting like they want to be treated like publishers, not like platforms. All right. Yeah, and 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 that's that's uh, there's there's uh, talk of a bill being to be introduced to uh, kind of switch that around to. to because they've been granted these protections, and they're taking advantage of it big time. Where they can't be sued right. for anything that's posted on their on their platforms. So it's 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 kind of a catch twenty two. Right, or anything that's not posted on their To deem something right. misinformation. You have to be able to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that it is it is in fact misinformation, but to delete it, that, no, that's wrong. Right, and and think of it this way, George. You you talked about at one point there was a they popped you for some uh, for some editorial op-ed that you did on Facebook, Facebook popped you for something you said in an editorial, what, a couple years ago? No, three, four they, years they, ago? What, what happened was recently, let me, let me, let me back that up, back up, uh, uh, tell you what happened. I, I mentioned this before on the show, and, and what happened was NBC Universal uh, put a copyright, a copyright claim against me. I challenged it as as being under fair use. They they withdrew their their challenge. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like I fought the law and and the law lost. Mm-hmm. They didn't win this time because they knew they were in the wrong. And it was for a two year old video. 
a two-year-old production on, on Facebook. So, right. yeah, and then, of course, YouTube, as everyone's well aware, with the, uh, with the YouTube jail for 90 days because I shared the President's State of the Union address. CNN went in and claimed copyright <clears throat> of somebody else's content. Right, and and that's 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 uh, I've seen I've seen them do that to other people as well. That they're not even uh, they're not even using CNN's feed. They're using somebody else's feed that has nothing to do with CNN. And CNN will, you know, pop them for, oh, you can't use that feed because that's our content and stuff like that, even though it's, you know, it clearly states on on the Chiron on the bottom of the screen, either Fox or RSVN, RSVN or uh, whatever whatever it is, uh, OANN or, you know, whatever. whatever. Take your pick. Any of the other people that aren't liberals. You know that aren't liberal leaning networks. You know I've seen that happen. So yeah, that does happen. And look, they they pop people for also. Oh, they they, they don't want to hear anything when when Eric Sierra Mella, as uh, the so-called whistleblower, okay. You know, and they were YouTube was would pop people for even mentioning his name. Even though his name was out and about and everybody knew it, they didn't want to hear it, you know, his name. And they did the same thing a few years back during the Obama administration with what's her name, Valerie Plame. You know, and who outed Valerie Plame and all that stuff. So yeah, they'll they'll take specific things and they'll say, "Well, you can't, you can't say this guy's name, or you can't use his name, even though the guy is information and the guy's name is already out there." I mean, it's, it was floating around the internet before people started using it, and once somebody started using it, you know, oh, we're gonna. Erase this part of whatever your broadcast is because you used this guy, Sierra Mello's name. You know? And that's how what the, that's what they've been doing. George? Yeah. <clears throat> Bear with me, uh, need to do something here. Uh, attempting to open ye old browser on the clip computer because I'm going to play a clip uh, that tells the tale of what Twitter is trying to do to the president. So I am waiting for it to open. Open Sesame. Open Sesame. Street. 
Come on, come on. That's it. Yeah, there you go. Now you're cooking with gas. Now you're getting somewhere. And I love this because the browser I'm using, all the all the stories that are in my news stories folder on, on my bookmarks came right up on the clip computers uh, for the same browser because they're synced so nicely. But uh, take a listen to this. This is this story will uh, enlighten everyone in regards to what uh, Twitter is doing to the president. Twitter brands Trump vote by mail post with fact check, citing CNN, by Alan Bopari on May 26, 2020. Twitter added a link to get the facts about mail-in ballots after President Trump tweeted out widely held concerns about the potential for voter fraud. The Twitter-curated moment is filled with mainstream media articles from CNN, Washington Post, and other outlets calling Trump a liar. There is no way, zero, that mail-in ballots will be anything less than substantially fraudulent, said President Trump on Twitter. Mailboxes will be robbed, ballots will be forged and even illegally printed out and fraudulently signed. The governor of California is sending ballots to millions of people. Anyone living in the state, no matter who they are or how they got there, will get one, continued Trump. That will be followed up with professionals telling all of these people, many of whom have never even thought of voting before, how, and for whom, to vote. This will be a rigged election. No way. People trying to view Trump's tweets on Twitter will see a link added by the site beneath them saying get the facts about mail-in ballots. Clicking on the link takes Twitter users to a Twitter moment, a collection of tweets and links curated by the company itself and filled with mainstream media articles from CNN, Washington Post, and other outlets calling President Trump a liar. This is reportedly the first time the social media platform has branded Trump's tweets with a link to a fact check of this type. The top article is a piece from CNN Opinion calling the president's claim unsubstantiated and claiming that mail-in ballots very rarely lead to voter fraud. As Breitbart News' Charlie Spiring has reported, the Trump campaign has substantiated its concerns with mail-in voting, contrary to what the Twitter-backed CNN article claims. The president's re-election campaign responded quickly to Acosta's request, noting there were nine people charged in the Rio Grande Valley in Texas with vote harvesting and mail ballots, a political operative in New York stealing and submitting absentee ballots, and a resident in Pennsylvania receiving seven separate ballots in the mail. The campaign also shared a Heritage Foundation document of over 1,000 proven cases of vote fraud. Democrats from the mainstream media always scoff at claims of voter fraud, but then completely ignore evidence from across the country, Trump 2020 campaign manager Brad Parscale said in a statement. The obvious reason is that Democrats are just fine with the possibility of voter fraud. And many in the media just see the world their way. Top Democrats are making a massive push to exploit the Chinese coronavirus and secure vote by mail as an option for more voters by November. Nancy Pelosi has added $3.6 billion to a Democrat-pushed coronavirus relief bill to fund vote by mail initiatives. Joe Biden, the presumptive Democrat nominee 
has falsely claimed that there is no evidence of fraud in mail-in votes. And California Governor Gavin Newsom, as Trump noted in his tweets, has already ordered millions of mail-in ballots to be sent out to California residents. Twitter's decision to fact-check President Trump's tweets comes on the same day that it apologized for hosting a series of tweets made by Trump about MSNBC host Joe Scarborough and the intern who died while working for the former congressman. Are you an insider at Google, Reddit, Facebook, Twitter, or any other tech company who wants to confidentially reveal wrongdoing or political bias at Okay, <clears throat> I'll uh, stop it right there, because uh, that last part uh, really wasn't necessary. Yeah, I mean, obviously. So, so there you have that, okay? All right? Now... Add insult to injury, Twitter faces this little shit storm. Okay? Mm-hmm. I'll play the clip for this because this, each of these clips that I'm playing tie into what's happening. This, this clip will, will, We'll tell you about the executive order that President Trump plans to sign. Take a listen. President Trump will sign executive order on social media censorship by Alan Bokhari on May 27, 2020. President Donald Trump will sign an executive order on social media censorship amid rapidly intensifying political bias from the Silicon Valley masters of the universe. White House Press Secretary Kayleigh McEnany told reporters aboard Air Force One that the president will shortly sign the executive order, although no further details were given about what it will consist of. This comes after Trump warned social media companies that continued political bias would lead to action from the administration. Republicans feel that social media platforms totally silence conservatives' voices, said the president on Twitter earlier today. We will strongly regulate or close them down before we can ever allow this to happen. The president also said Twitter was interfering in the 2020 presidential election after the platform fact-checked his tweets raising widely held concerns about voter fraud and mail-in ballots. A report in the Wall Street Journal last week claimed that the White House was preparing executive action on big tech bias in the form of an official panel that will review cases of anti-conservative bias from Silicon Valley companies. A White House spokesperson appeared to confirm the initiative at the time, telling the journal left-wing bias in the tech world is a concern that definitely needs to be addressed from our vantage point, and at least exposed, so that Americans have clear eyes about what we're dealing with. Tech companies continue to deny that they deliberately engage in political bias, but the evidence against their statements continues to mount. In addition to this week's events, Almost every major tech company has been caught in a political bias scandal since the 2016 election, and such cases continue to accumulate. These include Facebook putting mainstream conservatives like Candace Owens and Brigitte Gabriel on a hate agents review list. Twitter taking days to remove violent threats against Trump supporting high school students and refusing to take action against hate speech from New York Times editorial board member Sarah Jiang and leaked footage of Google executives declaring their intention to make Trump's populist movement a blip in history. 
Breitbart News will continue to provide updates on this developing story. Now, between with, with those two clips right there, you see how the, the administration is going to push back. You see how Twitter and other social media platforms, and we've seen it ourselves, have consistently and continually and habitually censor conservatives. And right. I'm sorry. It's wrong, and it'll always be wrong. Right. It is wrong, and this is another reason why, one, he has to win. If he does sign this thing, one, he has to win, and two, uh, the House has to flip. Therefore, what? Therefore, what would happen is then that uh, executive order would be brought up in a bill and made into a law to where they can't, you know, get rid of it, you know. And that's what I want to see. That's what ultimately I think should happen, you know, is that uh we should win the elect he should win the election and flip the house and then his 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 bill his uh executive order could be made could be turned into a bill or a law you know as it stands right now if he does sign that executive order it could last as long as well if he doesn't win the election, he, everything he could, uh, who, uh, Biden, who is stupid enough, uh, well, he's stupid, but he's not that stupid that he wouldn't try and protect his people in social media, you know, the companies in social media, by reversing the thing, you know. So this is another reason why Trump, we need to vote. Vote for Trump and flip the house. You know. Well, I think I think the uh, possibility of flipping the house has already uh, gained some traction in those two special elections that took place approximately a week ago. Uh, especially uh, given the one the one race in California. For the 25th district, which proved, you know, to be fruitful for the Republican Party, and there are many insiders in the Republican National Committee who believe that this this very uh, win and the one in Wisconsin takes the momentum in November in the direction of the Republicans flipping the House. And it looks very promising for them to retain control in the Senate. So we'll see what happens. From uh, I have a, a call here from the 541 area code, which currently oh, shows as Cave Junction, Oregon. Go ahead, caller. I'd like to order up. Yeah, go suck on mommy's tit, you little shit. Without basement-dwelling dweebs, 
learn <laughs> that you are not going to get past me. Are you that naive? And you are, because you haven't smoked the bong long enough tonight, obviously. Uh, and just so you're aware, I sent to a friend of mine in the hierarchy of the food chain in law enforcement every phone number that called me the other night pulling the, pulling the stupid shit. And guess what? They're going to be paying you motherfuckers a visit because... You could use Google, you could use Skype, but they know how to get around all that shit to get right to your front door. So keep on fucking around, people. Go ahead. You're not going to like what you get. You'll get an early Christmas gift in the form of silver bracelets on your wrists. And they're not the kind that carry jewels either. I don't play games anymore. So... You know, you have the executive order. Uh, it looks like he'll sign an executive order possibly tomorrow in regards to social media and all these and all this conservative censorship that's going on. But there's even more going on. Okay, there's more. Oh, it gets it gets better. It gets fucking better. Okay, because, all right, Mark, Mark, not Mark, Matt Getz is drafting a bill to drop big tech's legal immunity over one-sided, quote-unquote, fact checks. Check this out. Exclusive. Matt Gates drafting bill to drop big tech's legal immunity over one-sided fact checks by Sean Moran on May 27, 2020. Representative Matt Gates, RFL, will announce today that he is working with Republican members of the House Judiciary Committee to craft legislation that would strip social media giants of their Section 230 legal immunity if they fact-check content on their platforms, according to a copy of his podcast which Breitbart News exclusively obtained. On the Florida Conservatives podcast, Hot Takes with Matt Gates, he said that he is working on a bill that would prevent social media giants such as Facebook, Twitter, and Google from fact-checking content on their platforms. Gates's announcement follows as Twitter decided to fact-check President Donald Trump's tweet on Tuesday. Twitter tried to fact-check the president over Trump's tweet, claiming that mail-in ballot would lead to increased voter fraud. After Twitter fact-checked Trump's post, the president threatened to regulate or shut down social media companies such as Facebook and Twitter. Republicans feel that social media platforms totally silence conservatives' voices, Trump wrote on Wednesday. We will strongly regulate or close them down before we can ever allow this to happen. Gates noted that social media companies such as Twitter and Facebook enjoy a special liability protection under Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act. This immunity shields them from lawsuits if they were to remove and host content. Gates said, A lot of people don't see that Facebook and Twitter. You see Twitter disadvantaging the president. They enjoy liability protections that are not enjoyed by your local newspaper or your local TV station, or Fox News, or CNN, or MSNBC. 
They have special benefits under Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act as digital platforms because they're not creating content for which they should be liable. They're not making decisions about content, they're simply saying come one, come all with your content. And as a consequence of that, they're getting a bunch of protections. The Communications Decency Act stipulates that a platform, such as Twitter, cannot be sued for what users post on their platform as long as they act as platforms and not publishers. Noting that the social media companies have become increasingly biased against conservatives, Gates questioned whether social media companies deserve to keep their Section 230 immunity. He asked rhetorically, well now, it really begs the question with what Twitter is doing. Do they deserve that? Do they deserve it? And I would suggest that they don't. Gates added that it is not good for the country regardless of politics when these social media companies cease to stay neutral platforms. Gates said that he is working with members of the Judiciary Committee to work on legislation to remove big tech section 230 immunity if they continue to fact check on their platforms. He said, I am currently working with my Republican colleagues on the Judiciary Committee to craft legislation to say that if you're going to opine as to the truth or falsity of that which is put on your platform, for the sake of its viewers, you don't get the protection of Section 230. You are not a platform. You are doing something else. You are editorializing. Gates's office told Breitbart News that the legislation would make big tech companies' legal immunity contingent on not offering editorial judgments, such as fact-checking content. If Twitter is going to fact-check President Trump, that really begs the question of who those fact-checkers and if they are groups of people that shown bias against the president, Gates said. Sean Moran is a congressional reporter for Breitbart. Okay. All right, Mike, what do you think? Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, just what we said, that, that article, I mean, I like I like Matt Gates, you know. The, I mean, and I like this bill, and if they do do that, I mean, it makes sense. It really does. If they're going to try and editorialize and be basically the editorial department, you know, and say, you know, we're going to, not only are you not going to be able to, uh, you know, let's just say for the sake of argument that George Sensor was still on YouTube and he put up a, uh, he put up one, of, you put up one of your, your, you know, your editorials, you know, your op-eds on YouTube and they come in and they say, well, we're going to edit this A, B, and C out of your uh, editorial, even though A, B, and C are basically the main uh, parts of your editorial or your op-ed. Well, they're acting as your editorial boss, okay? And that's, I mean, unless you're working directly for them, they can't, they shouldn't be able to do that. So yeah, I like the bill. I like what it says, and I like the fact that now, granted, even if they're crafting it, I'm not sure if uh, Bullshift or is it Bullshift or is it Nadler with the judiciary is the the head of that committee. 
Schiff is Schiff is the intelligence committee, right? Right, George. Uh, say that again. I said Schiff uh, Bull Schiff is the intelligence committee, and Nadler is the judiciary, right? In the House. Right. Yeah, Jerry Nadler is uh, the chairman of the judiciary committee. Right. So, and Gates is in the judiciary committee, and he's trying to work with the guys now. Will this, if he comes, if he if he comes up with a bill, is 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 that bill gonna get out of that committee? I mean, if Nadler's in charge of that committee, is that is that idea gonna come out of that committee? That's that's my only question. He can come up with a bill, but if the Democrats aren't gonna vote for it, then where are we? You know. Well, that's okay. Right now, he's talking with his Republican colleagues. I don't think he—I don't think it mentioned in there if he was talking to Democrats about it as well. But that's not to say that you know he's not uh, that he may. That's not to say if he is or isn't. Okay. One of the things that I find curious about this is that. You've got President Trump who's going to sign an executive order to give a swift kick to social media right in the backside. And then you've got Matt Gates who's going to turn around and say, Well, you know what? We're going to, I'm talking to my colleagues, we're going to, and we're, we're working to draft legislation to take away their Section 230 protections. That's all great. I don't think you're going to see a, the bill pass the House. Not going to happen. I don't see it. You well, not right now. Not right now. now I, like I said, I don't think it gets out of committee. Well, if it does get out of committee, it'll be on a, on a purely... Uh, partisan Republican uh, initiative. But, see, if the Democrats want to maintain uh, any kind of stronghold, it might be, you know, they may actually, uh, you know, vote in favor of this, seeing the wisdom in doing so. Politically, it it would give them leverage. Problem is, will they? I don't know. I don't think so. Well, that's the thing. The and, pro- to, and, and you can't really... Is, is... Go ahead. Can't Go ahead. too long. Right. And the problem is, are they smart enough to understand that in passing something like this, or at least getting it out of committee, that it would give them some leverage, the Democrats. And, and we pretty much we pretty much chronicle how stupid they are on this show. So the answer to that question is no. They're not smart enough to realize that it would give them a little bit of leverage if they 
if they were at least tried to work with Matt Gates on this bill. Yeah, because I, 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 and I want to get Gunslinger's uh, thoughts on 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 everything he's heard so far tonight on this. Uh, but let me just say very quickly. Uh, even if the legislation gets drafted, even if it gets written, as far as you know, to be presented on the House floor, now that may take some time. So we may not see we may not see it until the next Congress. They may actually hold off to see if they get control of the Congress and the Senate all at the same time. But if they, but if God forbid that doesn't happen, they're going to have to put that that bill on the floor for a vote. And if the Democrats vote against it, then that tells me and every American across the country that they're in favor of censorship, and that could play a big role in them committing political. Suicide. Gunslinger, what are your thoughts? Bah humbug. <laughs> but anyway. Uh, wow. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> okay. I, uh, well, yeah. Um, I, I didn't know you hear all. Through. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I didn't hear all the clip. I just came out back outside. And I was finishing up. Well, we were finishing up on the new floor in the living room. Oh, they're short clips. Damn. If you want, I'll play all, all three clips in order well, you to give you, you a, so you can formulate a good opinion, a proper opinion of what you thought. Oh yeah, if you want to replay them, okay. Okay, let me. I I don't mind doing that. You know why? Because sometimes people miss something. Like like you you were I guess you were breaking camp or whatever you were doing at the time and and you know I want to make sure that you know you 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 have a well informed a well informed bit of information so this way you can speak right from the heart. My chest so hard. Oh. I wasn't breaking camp. I was just finishing. We were finishing up on my new floor in the living room, so I was back and forth outside, in and out, and all that, you know. All right. Well, let me see here. It's three clips. I'll put these suckers right in order. And, uh,. Mm-hmm. And it's that one. Okay. Here's clip number one. I'll play them all in or I'll play them all one after the other, so this way you have the whole enchilada to work with, okay? So here's num- here's clip number one. Twitter brands Trump vote by mail post with fact check, citing CNN. By Alan Bokhari on May 26, 2020. Twitter added a link to get the facts about mail-in ballots after President Trump tweeted out widely held concerns about the potential for voter fraud. The Twitter-curated moment is filled with mainstream media articles from CNN, Washington Post, and other outlets calling Trump a liar. 
There is no way, zero, that mail-in ballots will be anything less than substantially fraudulent, said President Trump on Twitter. Mailboxes will be robbed, ballots will be forged and even illegally printed out and fraudulently signed. The governor of California is sending ballots to millions of people. Anyone living in the state, no matter who they are or how they got there, will get one, continued Trump. That will be followed up with professionals telling all of these people, many of whom have never even thought of voting before, how, and for whom, to vote. This will be a rigged election. No way. People trying to view Trump's tweets on Twitter will see a link added by the site beneath them saying get the facts about mail-in ballots. Clicking on the link takes Twitter users to a Twitter moment. A collection of tweets and links, curated by the company itself and filled with mainstream media articles from CNN, Washington Post, and other outlets calling President Trump a liar. This is reportedly the first time the social media platform has branded Trump's tweets with a link to a fact check of this type. The top article is a piece from CNN Opinion, calling the president's claim unsubstantiated and claiming that mail-in ballots very rarely lead to voter fraud. As Breitbart News' Charlie Spiring has reported, the Trump campaign has substantiated its concerns with mail-in voting, contrary to what the Twitter-backed CNN article claims. The president's re-election campaign responded quickly to Acosta's request, noting there were nine people charged in the Rio Grande Valley in Texas with vote harvesting and mail ballots, a political operative in New York stealing and submitting absentee ballots, and a resident in Pennsylvania receiving seven separate ballots in the mail. The campaign also shared a Heritage Foundation document of over 1,000 proven cases of vote fraud. Democrats and the mainstream media always scoff at claims of voter fraud, but then completely ignore evidence from across the country, Trump 2020 campaign manager Brad Parscale said in a statement. The obvious reason is that Democrats are just fine with the possibility of voter fraud. And many in the media just see the world their way. Top Democrats are making a massive push to exploit the Chinese coronavirus and secure vote by mail as an option for more voters by November. Nancy Pelosi has added $3.6 billion to a Democrat-pushed coronavirus relief bill to fund vote-by-mail initiatives. Joe Biden, the presumptive Democrat nominee, has falsely claimed that there is no evidence of fraud in mail-in votes. And California Governor Gavin Newsom, as Trump noted in his tweets, has already ordered millions of mail-in ballots to be sent out to California residents. Twitter's decision to fact-check President Trump's tweets comes on the same day that it apologized for hosting a series of tweets made by Trump about MSNBC host Joe Scarborough and the intern who died while working for the former congressman. Are you an insider at Google, Reddit, Facebook? Okay, that's clip number one. Here's clip number two. President Trump will sign executive order on social media censorship by Alan Bokhari on May 27, 2020. President Donald Trump will sign an executive order on social media censorship amid rapidly intensifying political bias from the Silicon Valley masters of the universe. White House Press Secretary Kayleigh McEnany told reporters aboard Air Force One that the president will shortly sign the executive order, although no further details were given about what it will consist of. This comes after Trump warned social media companies that continued political bias would lead to action from the administration. Republicans feel that social media platforms totally silence conservatives' voices, 
said the president on Twitter earlier today. We will strongly regulate or close them down before we can ever allow this to happen. The president also said Twitter was interfering in the 2020 presidential election. After the platform fact-checked his tweets raising widely held concerns about voter fraud and mail-in ballots. A report in the Wall Street Journal last week claimed that the White House was preparing executive action on big tech buys in the form of an official panel that will review cases of anti-conservative bias from Silicon Valley companies. A White House spokesperson appeared to confirm the initiative at the time, telling the journal left-wing bias in the tech world is a concern that definitely needs to be addressed from our vantage point, and at least exposed, so that Americans have clear eyes about what we're dealing with. Tech companies continue to deny that they deliberately engage in political bias, but the evidence against their statements continues to mount. In addition to this week's events, almost every major tech company has been caught in a political bias scandal since the 2016 election, and such cases continue to accumulate. These include Facebook putting mainstream conservatives like Candace Owens and Brigitte Gabriel on a hate agents review list. Twitter taking days to remove violent threats against Trump supporting high school students and refusing to take action against hate speech from New York Times editorial board member Sarah Jiang, and leaked footage of Google executives declaring their intention to make Trump's populist movement a blip in history. Breitbart News will continue to provide updates on this developing story. All right, now for the final clip. Bart News. Oh. Yeah. Exclusive. Matt Gates drafting bill to drop big tech's legal immunity over one-sided fact checks by Sean Moran on May 27, 2020. Representative Matt Gates, RFL, will announce today that he is working with Republican members of the House Judiciary Committee to craft legislation that would strip social media giants of their Section 230 legal immunity if they fact-check content on their platforms, according to a copy of his podcast which Breitbart News exclusively obtained. On the Florida Conservatives podcast, Hot Takes with Matt Gates, he said that he is working on a bill that would prevent social media giants such as Facebook, Twitter, and Google from fact-checking content on their platforms. Gates's announcement follows as Twitter decided to fact-check President Donald Trump's tweet on Tuesday. Twitter tried to fact-check the president over Trump's tweet, claiming that mail-in ballot would lead to increased voter fraud. After Twitter fact-checked Trump's post, the president threatened to regulate or shut down social media companies such as Facebook and Twitter. Republicans feel that social media platforms totally silence conservatives' voices, Trump wrote on Wednesday. We will strongly regulate or close them down before we can ever allow this to happen. Gates noted that social media companies such as Twitter and Facebook enjoy a special liability protection under Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act. This immunity shields them from lawsuits if they were to remove and host content, Gates said. A lot of people don't see that Facebook and Twitter. You see Twitter disadvantaging the president. They enjoy liability protections that are not enjoyed by your local newspaper or your local TV station, or Fox News, or CNN, or MSNBC. They have special benefits under Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act as digital platforms because they're not creating content for which they should be liable. They're not making decisions about content. They're simply saying, come one. Come all with your content. 
and as a consequence of that, they're getting a bunch of protections. The Communications Decency Act stipulates that a platform, such as Twitter, cannot be sued for what users post on their platform as long as they act as platforms and not publishers. Noting that the social media companies have become increasingly biased against conservatives, Gates questioned whether social media companies deserve to keep their Section 230 immunity. He asked rhetorically, well now, it really begs the question with what Twitter is doing. Do they deserve that? Do they deserve it? And I would suggest that they don't. Gates added that it is not good for the country regardless of politics when these social media companies cease to stay neutral platforms. Gates said that he is working with members of the Judiciary Committee to work on legislation to remove Big Tech Section 230 immunity if they continue to fact-check on their platforms. He said, I am currently working with my Republican colleagues on the Judiciary Committee to craft legislation to say that if you're going to opine as to the truth or falsity of that which is put on your platform, for the sake of its viewers, you don't get the protection of Section 230. You are not a platform. You are doing something else. You are editorializing. Gates's office told Breitbart News that the legislation would make big tech companies' legal immunity contingent on not offering editorial judgments, such as fact-checking content. If Twitter is going to fact-check President Trump, that really begs the question of who those fact-checkers and if they are groups of people that shown bias against the president, Gates said. All right, Gunslinger, you heard all three clips. In relation to this story, what are your thoughts? Well, I think Trump ought to give them hell, no doubt about it. Because it is true that they do censorship conservatives, okay? They censorship everybody, especially Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. You was in YouTube jail, I was in Facebook jail, okay? For merely expressing your opinion, okay? That's not a free country, okay? But these corporate giants, like Facebook, okay, um, they think that they're above the law, okay? And freedom of speech is great, okay? In, in, but they are limiting, they are limiting the freedom of speech, okay? You can't do that. I have a right to say what I fucking want, to who I want, to who I want, anytime, day, night, or merry-go-round doesn't matter. And if you don't like it, well, you can go and stuff it up your ass. I'd love to tell Mark, suck me off, Berg, okay? He go stick it up his ass, okay? Because he lives in a free country. He lives in this country just like everybody else does, okay? You wouldn't want the gunslinger up there. As, as, well, you would, actually, because I would say free speech to everybody, no matter who likes it, okay? That's the way it's supposed to be. Okay, you can't censor people's thoughts. You cannot censor their opinion on anything. I don't care what it is. All right, I don't care if it offends the faggots. I don't care if it offends Bunny Bear, Joe Blow, or or Tim Buck too. It don't make a fuck to me. Okay, and that's the way it should be. Okay, but they're doing it because. Somebody may get offended. Grow up. Just like you say, George, grow up from the goddamn neck up. It's real world out here, okay? It's not no fairy land. Oh, wait a minute. Liberals, they live in fairy land, remember? They live in that land called liberalism, 
Okay? And in liberalism, everything is perfect. It's a utopian society. Everybody's just saying, sitting around saying, singing kumbaya, okay, in their world. But unfortunately, reality in their world does not, it's just like the opposite ends of the horse, okay? It don't make any logical sense. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I hope they do. It's just like, remember, just like when Ma Bell, she, she got too big for her britches, Okay, and they had to go in there and split them up. And it's starting to do that again with AT&T. You know, AT&T is the world's largest telecommunications provider. Just like Ma Bell, following in the footsteps of Ma Bell. So you've got to go in there and say, whoa, you fucked this monopoly bullshit. Okay, y'all need to, you know, do something or we'll do it for you. But remember what their number one motto is, money, money, honey, money. And then we we'll fuck about anything else. Go ahead. <laughs> you wish me, bug. Well, Gunslinger, I'll put it to you like this, okay? When when the when twenty sixteen elections came about, we saw a, a rise in the uh, in in the in the in the political bias of the social media platforms. And their bias came in the form of censorship of conservatives left and right. And people complained. People bitched. But nobody was listening. Now that it's happening to the President of the United States, <laughs> I, think, I think it's a safe bet. You know, the President's like, really? I don't think so. People have been saying that they're being censored because they're conservatives. I'm glad to see the president is taking a proactive role in hopefully putting putting this behind the eight ball, you know? So I, I, I firmly believe that between the, the executive order that he plans to sign tomorrow, and between uh, Matt Gates uh, talking with his Republican colleagues in the judiciary about drafting legislation to take away that Section 230 protection that these social media tech giants have enjoyed for so long, it's 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 long overdue. It's really long overdue. And I'll tell you something. We've all been victims of censorship at one point or another. Uh, and Ingy Mom, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe you had a problem with with your blog being a link to, links to your blog being pulled from, I guess, Facebook. Uh, again, censorship. Of the conservative, when Facebook announced they were going to start uh, going after posts that are deemed misinformation, there again they're doing it to the conservatives. Well, what about the misinformation by liberals? Okay, where's the where's where's the where's the um, you know 
the the fairness and 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 equal justice do they go after liberals because they offer misinformation no they don't and that's what really pisses me off when google who owns youtube attacks people like Mark Dice, Steven Crowder, me, you, because they consider our content either misinformation or they, they, they feel they have to censor us. And for the people that monetize, they end up getting demonetized. Again, another form of censorship. So it really begs the question... At what point, you know, do we uh, say once and for all, enough is a fucking enough? And I'm glad to see that Matt Gates and the president are on our side in this fight. You know, it's it. it, it look, yes, I I don't like conspiracy theories. I make no secret of that. But at the same time, okay, conspiracy theories don't add to the conversation. They don't add to the situation. Sometimes they can be detrimental. But I'm not a social media giant. I'm not a social media tech giant. I'm a broadcaster. And because I'm a broadcaster, because I run a news and topic discussion broadcast, that makes me a, a publisher by, by definition. So when I put something out there, in, in my, in, when I put something out, now recently I put out a, um, I put out a, a, an op-ed, and I'm going to, Pull that op-ed up in just a second. All right, let me get the proper link to it. Now, this had to do with the uh, with what the president said last Friday in regards to houses of worship being reopened. All right, now I'll put the link in the chat room. There you go. I did not share this link on social media. And there's a reason for that. Because this is my this is an op-ed. But in Facebook's eyes, it could be deemed as misinformation. Anyone who wants to look at my at, at my uh op-eds that I throw out there on that page from time to time, all they have to do is go to uh, firefoxnewsonline.wordpress.com, okay? And they can look at those. Now, I just updated my, my, uh, the look of my page, gave it a little more streamlined look. But all the content is there, and, you can, and you'll see it right there in front of your eyes. 
the problem I have with, with social media is because of the conservative censorship that goes on on a daily basis, if I post this link on my, on my page or any one of my pages that's tied to my direct account, it can be pulled for being misinformation if Facebook so chose to do so. And that's why I'm leery about posting my, my, op, my written op-eds on their page. Now, I do post on Facebook.com slash FFNOIBN the links for the live broadcasts. And I remember very clearly running into a problem with that at one time until I fought Facebook on it. And having since fought them on that, they have left me alone with, with, with the posting of the links to my broadcast. So do I trust them not to, not to fuck with me again? <laughs> no, because they, they, they could very easily. I don't post anything really on Twitter except maybe a response to, say, uh, what the president says, or maybe something that Nancy Pelosi or Chuck Schumer says. But I, 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 I draft my responses very carefully. I choose my words very carefully. So it's, it's, it's up to all of us to be in the fight to protect our rights to... to to, to share information and be able to do that without feeling that our content's going to go disappearing at the snap of a finger. Three four seven nine four five five seven four seven. 9445 Of course, we do want to hear from you wherever you happen to be. Unless, now what I'm going to do? Unless you're, oh, go ahead, Mike. You know, unless you're sucking unless on your mom's tits. <laughs> and and smoking the bong in the basement dwelling. That's right. Uh, not so much. And by the way, George, did you, I I put an article in the Mixler chat about from the Hollywood Reporter about Jack Dorsey's response. To uh, Trump, to the president. Uh, yeah, I see that. Get a load of this. Jack, Jack Dorsey tweeted in reaction to White House accusations of political bias after a pair of the president's tweets were flagged for being misleading. Now, Twitter CEO Jack Dorsey, who, by the way, looks like a basement-dwelling basement bottom feeder. That's just my opinion. Reaffirmed, reaffirmed the company's commitment to fact-check information related to elections despite a fierce reaction from the Trump administration over a pair of Donald Trump's tweets that were flagged as misleading on the platform. 
After a storm of criticism from the president's allies and threats from Trump himself to regulate social media companies via executive order, Dorsey tweeted on Wednesday, on Wednesday night, that there is someone ultimately accountable for our actions as a company, and that's me. Please leave our employees out of this. <laughs> right, okay. He added <laughs> that Twitter will continue to point out incorrect and or disputed information about elections globally. And we will admit to and own up and own any mistakes we make. Right. <laughs> this does not make us an arbiter of truth. Our intention is to connect the dots of conflicting statements and show the information in dispute so people can judge for themselves. More transparency from us is crucial is, is critical so folks can clearly see that see the why behind our actions, Dorsey wrote. In in a follow up tweet, Dorsey said the company would clarify its fact check of Trump's tweets, suggesting that the tweets yesterday may mislead people into thinking they don't need to register to get a ballot. Only registered voters receive ballots. We're updating the link on at real Donald Trump's tweet to make this more clearer. On Tuesday, Trump reacted furiously after Twitter added a fact check warning to his tweets about mail-in ballots. Via Twitter, the president accused the social media company of completely stifling free speech, pledging not, not to allow it to happen. On Wednesday morning, again on his Twitter account, he followed that up by tweeting how Republicans feel that social media platforms totally silence conservative voices. We will strongly regulate or close them down before we can ever allow this to happen. By Wednesday evening, the president pledged to sign an executive order against social media companies, although it was unclear what the order will do. So, looking at Dorsey's tweets... Before I, I go into those, there's an item at the bottom of this, of this article that says civic integrity policy. Listen to this, folks. You may not use Twitter's services for the purpose of manipulating or interfering in elections or other civic processes. And yet they do it all the time. Fact check. This is Dorsey stating this on his tweet. There is someone ultimately accountable for our actions as a company, and that's me. Of course, I read that in the article. Uh, well, actually, everything that, that's in this tweet, these tweets from Jack Dorsey, uh, the first two items were read in the story. This last part, however, says, per our civic integrity policy... The tweets yesterday may mislead people into thinking they don't need to register 
or to get a ballot. Okay? Again, that's another part that was also read in the story from the Hollywood Reporter. Now, let me be clear on something, guys. What so what Jack Dorsey is trying to say is that they will continue to fact check, claim the president is, is misleading, do that to him and possibly anyone else. So if I say the sky is blue, he could fact check and say, oh, no, Mr. Sinzer, the sky is green. You given in, you 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 share you 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 made misleading statements, and yet the sky is blue. So, right. Bottom lining it, there you have, and in the in the nutshell, social media is being pushed back against by the administration by a member of Congress, and I'll tell you something. It's about fucking time. Mm-hmm. It is seriously long since past time. Oh, Iggy, you're leaving? Oh, don't do that. Don't break my heart now. <laughs> You know, she said George, on a totally... And she left. She <laughs> broke my heart. Yeah. Yeah. Probably tired. On a though, totally... Uh, look, uh, on a totally unrelated uh, subject, at the bottom of that article, there is another article about uh, Ginsburg being released from a hospital, you know, because of a, after a gallstone, uh, an infection after a gallstone surgery or whatever, you know. Now, we know she said she wants to, uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg discharged uh, from hospital following infection. Now, now, we know that she wants to stay until she's 92 or whatever, 93, 92, 93, whatever it is. But if she keeps doing this and, and having to have, you know, surgeries and getting infections from those surgeries, I don't, I don't see how she's going to last that long. If she had her way, she'd stay in there until she was 2,093 years old, okay? Because liberal, you know, she's a liberal, full-blown, blown-out, blown-out tar liberal, top liberal, okay? And she hates Trump, so, which most liberals do. haven't seen a liberal yet that likes Trump, so, (laughs) you know, go figure Mm -hmm. that one good. And this article says she will return to the hospital for outpatient visits over the next few weeks 
and will eventually have the gallstone removed. So she didn't really have it removed yet. She's, it's still there, but, you know, and I guess that's why she had the, you know, all this stuff, you know, off, you know, the, 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 the infection, she hadn't had it removed yet, but she'll have it removed. But again, she needs probably needs to step down and soon. And I don't I don't know. I mean, up until this point she's been almost a tank. And and that's no lie. Everything she's had every disease she's had, she's gotten over it, everything that every bad thing that has happened to her, I mean her husband's died and all that stuff. She's gotten over it, but, you know, it's like, okay, how much more can you do to the woman before she finally gets it into her head that she needs to go? George? Sorry about that. I was ch- I was uh, checking something on the clip computer, and uh, it wasn't what I was looking for. So, no. No. yeah, I don't think I don't think I have it on the clip computer. I was gonna I was gonna play a clip like if it was there, and it's not on the it's not on the new computer. It's probably on the uh, Alienware computer. I'll have to look at it tomorrow, see if it's there. But I was gonna play a clip. Going back to when when the social media uh, censorship began, yeah, I guess it's I guess it's one of those things, you know, where you just have to kind of grin and bear it and say, oh well. Yeah, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, Mike. Let me tell you something. That woman needs to step the fuck down. She needs to step the fuck down because it's getting ridiculous. You know, she sits there and acts like, you know, she's the big kahuna, the big cheese, you know, and all this other shit. And it's like, well, hold the phone here, Miss High and Mighty. You're going to you're you're going to even though you're having all these health issues, you're going to Hold on to that seat, because Trump's in office, and if he wins re-election, and he will, you're going to still hold on to that office, hold on to that justice seat? Woman, you ain't, you ain't long, at the rate your health is declining, you may not be on the bench much longer. Your health is going to do is going to take over, and you're going to have no choice but to step down. I'm not wishing ill on this woman, but for for the love of God, please understand that your health is is getting worse and worse, and you may not have any choice because, and again, I'm not wishing ill on her, but. If she continues to decline health-wise, 
ultimately she could end up passing away from all her health, from all of these health problems that she's been dealing with. And I say that only because, you know, it's a real possibility. But she's a stubborn bitch. That stubborn woman won't drop for anybody. And and look, she's and here's the deal. Uh, here's the deal, uh, uh, George. She's in the butter area of Corona. You know. I mean, I'm not saying that she she's not gonna. She is or isn't. I'm just stating a fact. She's 87 years old. She's had all kinds of health problems, and that's dangerous in terms of this whole coronavirus thing. If if she somehow comes down with coronavirus, that's it. She's done. Maybe and maybe not. There was a World War II veteran. 100 years old who beat coronavirus. Yeah. 100 years old and beat it. So, like I said, she's a stubborn fucking wench. She's liable to turn around and beat and survive that. Oh, my God. Well, I mean, anything is possible, you know. Seriously, anything is very possible. Um, do I do I do I see her beating it? I know you all ain't gonna like to hear this, but yeah, I do. So, at the end of the day, what it really boils down to is this: what. Um, What's it going to take to get her to step down from the bench? What health issue is really going to put her by in the eight ball? Because she can still work from home if she's quarantined for 14 days. So there's that, there's that too. And uh, you know we talk about they, they talk about uh, extenuating circumstances, you know COPD things. That, I don't know what other. I mean, yeah, she probably due to the fact that she's had cancer a couple times and she's had the the radiation or the uh, the, uh, the chemo or whatever. I mean, I don't know how what her immune system is as of this point. You know, how weak or how strong it is. I mean, there are extenuating circumstances. And, I, and as far as that World War II veteran, I don't know his extenuating circumstances. But, you know, we know that she's had bouts with cancer where she's had to take chemotherapy, and that tends to take it take a lot out of you, take a lot out of your immune system, take a lot out of your system in general doing that. I mean, that's uh, my brother, uh, my late brother had uh, cancer. 
that got cancer, you know, got had testicular cancer. And the cancer isn't what got him. It was the therapy. It was the chemotherapy and the other things that uh, eventually got him, you know, because of his weakened immune system. So we just don't know how it would re- how she how her immune immune system would react to corona. Same way anybody else's would, I'm, I'm sure. You know, either she'll beat it or she won't. You know, it's a fifty. Yep. It's it's really fifty fifty, and that and that goes for anybody because I mean yes, she's up there in years. So she's high risk because of her health mm-hmm. problems. She's high risk. Well, guess what? Blood pressure, being 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 overweight, having diabetes. I'm not that old, but because of my health issues, I'm the high risk category. Mm-hmm. You know, people who have uh, emphysema. COPD or asthma are high risk category. You know, and I've said this on the I said this not too long ago on the show. I have a sister that is an asthmatic. Am I concerned for her safety? Absolutely. She's my sister, for God's sakes. You know, but still, and she's slightly older than I am by about, I think, three years. So she is a little more at risk. The fact is, oh, and I really, I really can't stress this enough. All of us are at risk. But, Unlike the fear-mongering CNN and MSNBC, I'm not going to sit here and say that it's hopeless. Oh, hell no. (laughs) That's stupid to do that. There are places here, there are are states in this country that are making it mandatory for you to wear a mask. Like here in New York. Governor Cuomo made it mandatory. So I have to go out and about, okay? And uh, for anyone who saw me on Facebook, any of my friends who saw me on Facebook today when I was at Home Depot getting supplies for the move, you saw me with my camouflage mask on. Actually, it's a bandana. I just had it covering my face. Now, bear in mind, it ain't easy wearing these things. I had a difficult time breathing through that fucker. But I got through it. Because I only put it, I only pull it up when I'm going into a store, and then I pull it right off my face once I'm outside and I'm far enough away from everybody. Because I don't need to be sitting there going. (sighs) 
No. <laughs> I am not a heavy breather. I'm not going to sit here like a, I'm not going to go around town like a heavy breather on a phone call <sighs> and sound like some perv. Okay, it's just not going to fucking happen. Yeah, you don't want to sound like one of the bottom. I have to apologize for, for for going into the microphone and going. No, 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 no. Just a demonstration to point out that I don't. Yeah, you don't. You don't want to sound like one of those bottom feeders. Right. Exactly. Now I was in contact with uh, No Way tonight. Uh, I don't know if he'll join us or not. Uh, he's been having some computer problems, so it's kind of 50-50. Okay. Now, that very video in question, okay, the very video in question, I'm going to pop the link in the chat room. Uh, excuse me. Ooh. Now, nice. the only people that can actually see this are friends of mine. That means, Gunslinger, you and Mike will be able to see this. Quad uh, me. I'm drinking <laughs> soda, so it's kind of a... I'm, I'm a little gassy right now. And as long as it goes up and not down, we're good. It starts going down, there's a little mushroom cloud flies in behind me. I can guarantee it. <laughs> so, uh, in case you didn't see this before... Uh, thus far, I've had a, one of my nephews saw it, and three of my friends saw it. And one of the three friends that saw it uh, is a viewer of this broadcast on the uh, video platform. And she goes by the nickname Charity Rose. Charity Rose, always a pleasure to have you watching. It really is. I'm glad, you, I'm glad you're there checking it out. And hopefully I've given you a good laugh today so far. I really do hope I've been, I've been able to give you a little bit of a chuckle, even while talking about serious stuff. If I've if I've done that, then I've then I've done my job well. At least I I hope I have. Um, the one nephew that one of my nephews who saw this, uh, he can be a bit of a wise guy. Now, let me see. Three out of the four people that have seen this video so far put the big ha-ha-ha emoji on it. Cool. They had fun with it. <laughs> and one, the, one, of the, one of my other friends just put a thumbs up. Guess I didn't make him laugh too much, huh? Oh, well. At least he watched. That's all that matters. But, uh, yeah, here, I'll put this in the chat room. It, it, the only people that can really see it are my friends. Uh, but there it is. The Facebook Bandit. <laughs> I had to have a little fun. Because uh, I had to go get contractor bags and some more tape. Unfortunately, I'm, I started running out of tape to tape up my boxes with. A few things I still got to package. Right. 
kind of gets a little tough. All right, um, moving on to the next item on the list. Remember I said about one of the states mandating coronavirus face masks? Well, Virginia, the state of Virginia, mandates coronavirus masks as state sees biggest daily spike in new cases. According to this, Virginians will soon be required to wear face masks in public to curb the spread of the, of the novel coronavirus, Governor Ralph Northam announced on Tuesday. Now, news, uh, the news comes after the state on Tuesday reported its biggest single-day increase in COVID-19 cases, 1,615, a jump from 1,483 new cases reported Monday. According to local news station WAVY, increased testing was reportedly behind the spike, as well as a lag in reporting due to the long weekend and maintenance to the Virginia Department of Health's system for reporting per the news outlet. Now, Virginia, which began its first phase of reopening earlier this month, also saw 28 new virus-related deaths on Tuesday. The executive order, which takes effect on Friday, mandates that all residents wear a facial covering while in public indoor settings, according to a news release from the governor's office. We are making progress to contain the spread of COVID-19, and now is not the time for Virginians to get complacent, Northam said in a statement. Science shows that face coverings are an effective way to prevent transmission of the virus, but wearing them is also a sign of respect. This is about the right thing to doing the right thing to protect the people around us and keep everyone safe, especially as we continue to slowly lift public health restrictions in our commonwealth. Now, face masks, which do not take the place of public health guidelines to maintain six feet of physical distancing, increase cleaning and, sa- and sanitation, and wash hands regularly per government officials, will not be required while eating or drinking during exercise for children under two years of age, those who are hearing impaired, or anyone with a health condition that keeps them from wearing a face covering. Those health conditions include and not limited to asthma, COPD, and emphysema, just to let you know. Okay. Mike, running away on me? Yeah, I'm heading off a little bit. All right. All 
So, looks like it's just you and me, Gunslinger. <laughs> so, that's the uh, deal with, the, with, with coronavirus mandates from the Commonwealth of Virginia. Remember those FISA warrants that were based on that steel dossier and all that? <clears throat> the hell? Go to click on the story and it didn't open. Well, apparently, the Department of Justice is urging President Trump to veto a FISA. Vice, to veto FISA legislation. And the vote's in limbo as of this article. <clears throat> the Department of Justice Wednesday urged President Trump to veto legislation to reauthorize surveillance authorities used by the FBI just hours before a scheduled vote in the House, marking the latest curveball that puts the legislation in limbo. The, the Justice Department issued a statement Wednesday saying the legislation set to reauthorize and reform national security authorities in the United States of America in, in the USA Freedom Act goes too far and would weaken national security tools. If passed, the Attorney General, William Barr, would recommend that the President veto the legislation the statement from Assistant Attorney General Stephen Boyd said, The legislation was already in jeopardy when Trump tweeted Tuesday night that he's urging all Republicans to vote no on the FISA legislation until such time as our country is able to determine how and why the greatest political, criminal, and abusive scandal in USA history took place. Of course, I'm should remind you all of what that was. But I think we all know. Of course, the Steele dossier, the abuse of the FISA courts uh, in relation to attacks on President Trump. I'm continuing with the article here. Trump issued the warning on Twitter referring to his long-standing belief that the intelligence community improperly used FISA authorities to surveil his presidential campaign for political reasons. By Wednesday morning, House GOP leader Kevin McCarthy, Republican from California, asked Speaker Nancy Pelosi to pull the legislation from the floor. In an interview on Fox & Friends on Fox News Channel, McCarthy cited several reasons that Democrats should delay the legislation, including new developments surrounding the Obama administration officials using FISA authorities to launch the Russia probe into Trump campaign officials and associates. Excuse me. Ooh. McCarthy said we need to get to the bottom of that and make sure the FISA court 
is protecting the liberties of Americans before we move another bill forward. Boyd's statement referenced this saying, the House is now poised to further amend the legislation in a manner that will weaken national security tools while doing nothing to address the abuses identified by the Department of Justice Inspector General. All the new developments mean the FISA reauthorization is up in the air, according to one congressional aide. People are trying to figure out exactly where the president wants to land on this. He's kind of holding a lot of the cards at the moment, the aide said. The measure largely represents a bipartisan compromise worked out in late winter between Barr and congressional leaders. But things changed with Trump's complaint. The the president tweets, did change everything, one senior Republican source said. Now, it should be pointed out that this compromise was negotiated at the behest of Barr and McCarthy, a source according to sources. Yeah, but last night, that's a reference to the president's tweet. Now, House Minority Whip Steve Scalise, Republican from Louisiana, told Fox News Channel, He will now be whipping against the bill. A Democratic aide said the House is still working on the plan. So, there's legislation being uh, being put out there. And I'll tell you something. Between you, me, and the four winds, Gunslinger, the FISA courts, the system that allowed for this uh, ridiculous Russia collusion, Mueller report nonsense, the FISA court was abused. It was abused and lied to. So I wonder if this is going if this is going to make a difference. God forbid, should something like this happen again. Go ahead. <clears throat> well, I'm sure it will happen again. There's no doubt about that. Because, you know, they're already saying, oh, we're going to try this impeachment bullshit again. Okay. You know it's in their head. You know it is. That's, they think about it every day. It's like a rabid dog. They are just rabid with this impeachment bullshit. But yeah, that they they try it. It doesn't surprise me. Yeah, of course they're gonna lie, they're gonna cheat, they're gonna steal, they're gonna do you know, anything that they can do that because they're Democrats. That's what Democrats do. They lie, cheat and steal. Okay? We've already seen proof. That's there's no theory or conspiracy theory. That's a fucking fact. This is what they do. So yeah, that doesn't um does it surprise me again? No. <laughs> Go ahead. 
down my microphone because I felt like I was going to sneeze. I forgot to turn it back up. <laughs> Sorry. Um, but no, Gunslinger, I hope that this comes, that the, that the, this uh, legislation that they're, you know, that they want the president to uh, veto, I hope he actually does do that. I really do. I hope he, he says, fuck no. The system needs to be fixed. It's broken. You know, and when the Steele dossier was used to craft FISA warrants, that tells me that Joe Blow from Kokomo could go in and submit bullshit documents and get a FISA warrant. Yeah. They need to fix this. They really do. I see Billy joined us in the chat room. What up, Bill? Now, earlier today, SpaceX was going to launch the uh, launch a rocket with two astronauts aboard, and it was going to head for the International Space Station. Unfortunately, Mother Nature did not really want things to happen. Didn't quite cooperate. So the mission was scrubbed until Saturday afternoon. But this mission would mark the first time in 10 years that astronauts lifted off from the United States, whether it was from the Johnson Space Center in Houston or the Kennedy Space Center at Cape Canaveral, Florida. Now, I gotta say, I gotta say, without fear of contradiction, I'm all for it. Because for a long time, the United States was paying for a seat on Russian rockets. Okay. Russian rockets. We were hitching rides on a Russian rocket. Well, that needed to stop. And I'm glad to see that thanks to uh, the people that run SpaceX rockets, it's going to happen. And it's being done through a private company, which raises the, the bar of Made in America, yada, 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 so on and so on. But I noticed something in one of the uh, images that I saw. The rocket has the NASA logo slapped right on it. Now, whether that was their idea or uh, the people that run the SpaceX rockets, I don't know. doesn't really matter to me. But... The unique thing about this rocket is the the uh, the capsule itself. The capsule is not designed to do a splashdown in the ocean. 
No. This thing is actually designed, Gunslinger, I swear to God, I, I couldn't believe it, to actually, I guess through uh, thrusters or whatever the story, whatever the case is, to land on a platform out in the ocean. I thought that was, that was amazing that something like that, you know, would come up. What did you what did you think of today's uh even though it was uh scrubbed for today what did you think of the of the idea of rock, uh, of a rocket going to the to the uh, international space station from right here in the United States after 10 years since the shuttle program was uh, discontinued Well it's uh it's long overdue Ten years, I mean, geez. Um, well, yeah, I mean, with the like I said, with, with them putting their logo on it. Well, they built it. They paid for it. It's a private company. If I own the company, and I want to put my logo on it. Well, yeah. Uh, they're just merely, I guess, I don't know if they're renting or just using the NASA equipment down there to launch it. Uh, so it should have, you know, some. I'm surprised somebody didn't come up with this idea sooner than than now but uh, yeah I seen some of it early today when I got up and then I seen it well it was scrubbed because of the weather so <laughs> well you know you can't launch in bad weather that's for damn sure <laughs> go ahead Gone again? Yeah. Right I turn. Why do I? I turned it down because I, I didn't want you to get an echo effect. I, I, I forgot. I, I turned my speakers up, so I, I I wanted to avoid you getting echoes. First, I because I had I felt a sneeze. My nose was itching, and then I realized, oh shit, maybe I better while he's talking turn the turn my mic down so he doesn't get an echo. <sighs> Don't mind me, folks. It's just one of those days. Uh, technically, it's now Thursday, but I started the show on Hump Day. So, humping right along. <laughs> um, but, you know, I, I, I agree. It's long overdue. I mean, 10 years and hitching rides with Russians... No, 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 no. I think we can do better. And this country can do better. Now, check this out. Remember how Cuomo whined and complained about needing more ventilators and then of course telling hospitals to put 
COVID patients in the nursing homes? Well, that's what this is all about. Apparently, Cuomo granted immunity to nursing home executives after a big money campaign donation. <laughs> oh, brother. Yeah, Governor Cuomo, who signed legislation granting hospital and nursing home executives immunity from lawsuits related to the novel coronavirus last month, previously received a big money boost from a powerful healthcare industry group according to a new report. An article published on the socialist website Jacobin and republished by The Guardian reports that the New York State Democratic Committee, then backing Cuomo's primary run in 2018, received more than $1 million from the Greater New York Hospital Association a lobbying group for hospital systems, some of which own nursing homes. The donation made the group one of the state party's largest contributors in that cycle. Three of the hospital association's top officials separately gave more than $150,000 to Cuomo's campaign between 2015 and 2018. This is according to the, new, to the outlet. That donation is now drawing scrutiny after Cuomo signed legislation last month that protects executives from lawsuits requiring nursing homes to take in COVID-19 patients. Now, on May 10th, and amid increasing criticism, Cuomo issued a new directive stating that hospitals cannot send patients back to nursing homes in the state unless they tested negative for the virus. Yeah. The article reports... I think I skipped something here. Ah. The budget provision says that officials shall have immunity from any liability, civil or criminal, for any harm or damages alleged to have been sustained as a result of an act or omission in the course of arranging or providing healthcare services to deal with the outbreak. In other words, he saw the writing on the fucking wall and he he figured he better do this now and get it over with. Now, you know what happens when Democrats start using their brains, right? So Cuomo's office responded to the report in a statement to the Guardian saying that the measure was, was to protect health care workers during a national crisis. In Washington, Republicans similarly have sought to include broad liability protection for businesses in any future round of relief legislation. So Cuomo got a big money boost from, one, from 
a big lobbying group for hospitals and nursing services. And, 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 and uh, what did it say here? Hold on. Let me give, the, give, give that information correctly. They Apparently, Cuomo's, uh, the, the New York State Democratic Committee, who was then backing Cuomo's primary run in 2018, just two years ago, received more than a million dollars from the Greater New York Hospital Association. Now, they're a lobbying group for hospital systems, some of which own nursing homes. Gee, I wonder, was this all politically motivated? Can you say, yes, it was politically motivated. I know you can. All right, Gunslinger. What do you well, say yeah, to this mess? Well, yeah, of course you know it's going to be politically motivated. You know that. Look who it's coming from, okay? <laughs> that, that right there ought to tell you something, okay? So everything that idiot does is politically motivated. You know that. Again, Democrat. Again, liberal. There you have it. Right. <clears throat> yeah. Now, one other story that, that, that's been making headlines of late is what's happening in Minneapolis, Minnesota. I believe it's Minneapolis. Um, yep. Because Minneapolis, they're, they are having some serious, serious problems. Now, It says here, armed citizens guard stores amid looting in Minneapolis. Well, there's a reason why this is all happening. Okay? Um, A man named George Floyd, okay, was killed by police. Let me give you the skinny on what happened. All these protests erupted on Tuesday after video emerged of a police officer with his knee pressed against George Floyd's neck while the man was in custody. Protesters have called for the officers involved to be charged in his death. Max Nesterak, a reporter at the the Minnesota Reformer, interviewed a group of armed men outside a tobacco uh, a, to, a, a tobacco a to, try that again George a tobacco a tobacconist who uh, said they agree with the protests but not the looting they said police in the city have been overextended and they stopped at the tobacco shop because they were told that the business owners were desperate to protect their store. These guys are out here with machetes, with shattered windows, trying to keep looters out because cops can't get in here. One of the armed men said, so I figure before there were cops, there were Americans. So here we are. 
Now, some commenters on social media worried that armed citizens could escalate the situation. Looting has been recorded at a, at a Target store off East Lake Street, and an auto zone was set on fire near a police precinct. Okay, now, officers could be seen surrounding the precinct, but did not attempt to intervene in the looting. Earlier, some protesters skirmished with officers who fired rubber bullets rubber bullets easy for me to say right maybe I should, before I read something like that I should go rubber baby buggy bumpers just to make sure I don't get tongue tied okay getting back to this article so they fired rubber bullets and tear gas in a repeat of Tuesday night's confrontation now Fox 9 Minneapolis reported that fire crews worked to put out the fire at AutoZone, which is close to the Minneapolis Police Department's 3rd Precinct. Governor Tom... Governor... Try again, George. Governor Tim Walz took to Twitter late Wednesday to tell people in the area to leave and called the unfolding situation extremely dangerous. For anyone's... for For everyone's safety... Please leave the area and allow firefighters and paramedics to get to the scene. This is what the governor posted. Other stores that were involved in looting include a food, a Cub Foods and Dollar Tree. Now, a reporter for Fox News Channel, Mike Tobin, uh, reported live from a protest and said he was caught in the crossfire and said he felt pepper spray get into his eyes. That's the risk you take when you're, when you're a journalist and you're trying to get the story. If you're out there, you're going to get pelted with rubber bullets. You'll probably get hit with tear gas. It's going to happen. Uh... Some of the flashbangs have been deployed primarily from the police on the rooftops. Because I saw a video earlier of this, and cop, there was at least a dozen cops on the rooftop of, one of, the, of this one precinct. Oh, yeah. This whole situation started because George Floyd, right, he was being arrested. And what happened to Mr. Floyd should not have happened. In a video that I saw, the officer had his knee pressed against George Floyd's neck and kept it there for over six minutes. The positioning that his knee took on the neck, and while I'm no medical expert, but it clearly shows that it may have cut off the blood flow to the brain, as well as cutting off the oxygen supply in the process. Now, whether or not George Floyd did something wrong is irrelevant. That officer should not have kept his knee on the neck of of, of a suspect 
for over six minutes. If you had him in handcuffs and you Mirandized him properly, then you should have picked him up, put him in the back of your cruiser, taken him to the pre, taken to jail, done. He'd still be alive. Now, I'm not saying all cops are bad. I'm not saying that they all do this kind of stupid shit. But don't let the actions of one officer hurt the rest of the department. I know that old saying, one bad apple can spoil a bunch. But if, you're, if, if, if there is one bad apple in the bunch and you find it in time, and you still can get you know, get things done for the rest of the community, then this person doesn't need to have that you know that kind of protection. This officer, if it is if it is proven that his actions caused the death of George Floyd. And I suspect this likely. I mean, over six minutes with your with a knee pressed on your around your right on your neck. Yeah. All I can say is, God help that officer. But I say to the people of Minneapolis, you need to show restraint. Yes, protesting is, 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 is something that you, you can do. But the looting and the destruction of private property must cease. Go ahead, Gunn. What, what are your thoughts on this? Well, yeah, you know, that's just true. I mean, you can't, I just can't do that. I mean, but, you know, when the cops don't respond, you know, what else are you going to do? You're going to do it yourself. That's it. That's all. What, what other choice you got? Just going to sit there with your finger up your ass? No, I don't think so. But, you know, that's uh, that's what the Second Amendment's for, isn't it? Protection of yourself and your property. Go ahead. Okay. Um, I've got a caller calling in from the 205 area code, which is coming up as... Uh, Grayson, Georgia. So, 205 area code. Go ahead. Yeah, go suck your mother's tits again. And guess what? This comes with a name and an address. Al D. Thompson. On Storybrook Lane in Grayson, Georgia. In their 40s, it says. Well, gee. Looks like I get to turn over a name, an address, along with the phone number to my friends in law enforcement. How nice. Thanks, Al. Remember these words. Soap on a rope, you bottom-feeding, basement-dwelling dweeb. So, 
Gunslinger is breaking camp. That means I've got no calls on the line at the present time. So with 34 minutes remaining in the broadcast, uh, let me go to my chat room here real quick. Billy, you said that uh, violent social unrest ahead, uh, history suggests so, and I believe that was in regards to this uh, situation in Minneapolis. Am I correct? And while I wait for Billy to respond, uh, just to let everybody know that Firefox News Online may be on the air June 1st, okay, because June 1st is a Monday. That's our usual night to broadcast. But because we are moving from our current location to a new studio location, that means it's a 50-50 possibility. If something happens where I have to uh, let you know of any changes, I will post information. Of course, I'll have to do it using my cell phone if, if it becomes necessary. And post it on Facebook.com slash F-F-N-O-I-B-N. Again, that's Facebook.com slash F-F-N-O-I-B-N. That's also the same location that I post all the links to the live show anyway. So if there's any, any delay, if I'm not going to be able to do it that night, if uh, my Internet has not been established in the new place, um, then, of course, you know, you will find out. All right? In the interim, in the interim, I wanted to make sure you knew that. Now, Billy said no to that question. All right, uh, Billy, what were you um, re referring to then? You kind of left me with a question mark on my head. Uh, tell you what, why don't you call in and, and uh, share, your th share with us what uh, you were actually referring to. Because uh, you got me curious here. You do have me curious. So... Uh, Call into the broadcast and uh, talk to me. Let me know what you're thinking. In the interim, let's see here. Laura Logan over at Fox News Channel. Uh, she's on Fox Nation. Uh, is calling out media, the media for ignoring the devastating effects of lockdowns on health on the healthcare industry. Uh, I think that th th that uh, there should be. I would think that the lasting effects on people under lockdown on their health and their safety as a result. Uh, would make sense. Okay. Okay, this is about an hour 
length video, which means I'm going to have to watch it later because this is uh, somebody's podcast. So that's okay. That unfortunately is not going to help. Not 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 right now anyway. Uh, I thought maybe there was something a little more readers digesting of information on this. Uh, but that that's an hour video, so it's you know. And I wouldn't know where to begin to try and condense down, you know, just or or pick one spot where it kind of centralizes uh, the the basic premise of of, of uh, involving violent so- social unrest. But we see that violent social unrest happening in Minneapolis, Minnesota, right now, actually, as a result of uh, George Floyd's death. We see the people protesting, and then there are some folks who are going beyond just protesting. They have decided to uh, set places ablaze and 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 or loot. There's looting, you know, with looting going on and stuff. So it's got a lot of people that own businesses scared, and because of what happened, the police aren't even acting, you know, accordingly. You know what? I'll tell you what. I got an idea. I've got an idea. I'll play the. Uh, I'll play some of this video, not all of it, but you know a little bit of it. Give you a little taste of it, and then we can see where. Uh, this podcaster was going with this. All right. Let's see. Whoops. Wrong button, George. Ah, no, 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 no. I don't want to do it. No, 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 no. Not that. Not that. Don't do that. That's better. Don't mind me, folks. It just gets a little bit wacky. All right, so let me put put this clip in motion. Um, the forest trainings have to happen. They're not pleasant, uh, but in a way, it's like it's like forest fires or floods. You know, they clear away the underbrush and they allow the next generation to have room to grow. They tilt the playing field away from the old toward the young. They tilt it toward away from incumbents toward new people. Welcome, I'm Chris Martinson, and this is Peak Prosperity. Hello everyone, Chris Martinson of Peak Prosperity. It is Cinco de Mayo here, 2020, and today we are going to be talking with Neil Howe of The Fourth Turning, the book, the book that I've been referring to. If you've been watching my video series on COVID-19 on YouTube, it's back on February 20th. I actually dedicated an entire episode to the concept of The Fourth Turning, talked about the book, talked about the theory, talked about the thesis. And it's something you've heard me refer to over and over again. So what is this fourth turning? The reason I'm bringing it to you is that it's really important concept. In my life, I value ideas. I value wrestling with ideas. And what I really especially value is when I come across an idea 
that's like a, a rudder turn and it shifts the course of my, my thinking forever. And the fourth turning was such a book. I read it and I said, wow, it really clicks into place. And I found myself over time assembling things and data and fitting it into this framework. So it's a really useful framework for understanding where we are. And by the way, I think you need to understand this now today because we are in a fourth turning. This is a really uh, historic period of time. And the fourth turning didn't begin with the virus, but boy, did it have rocket fuel poured on it. And so here to talk with us about this today, uh, I'm really excited to bring back to the program, Neil Howe. Neil, hey, thanks so much for making the time to be with us today. Well, it's a, it's a pleasure, Chris. Thank you for having me on. Well, let's get right into it. Uh, the fourth turning, what, what is it? Well, it was a, uh, a book that uh, Bill Strauss and I wrote back in 1997. Um, it, was, it was actually, there was a prior book uh, that was uh, sort of the, the foundation of the basis uh, for, for our whole paradigm. It was a book we wrote in 1991 uh, called Generations. The History of America's Future, and it was uh, that was a big book. That was a long project. That took us several years, actually. We we basically rewrote all of American history as a sequence of generational biographies, collective biographies of generations. And what we showed is not only is um, every generation in American history distinctly different in its uh, pure personality, its habits, its uh, its attitudes toward family, risk, civic service, um, uh, uh, and so forth. Uh, but but that people were always aware of these differences, even going back to the 17th century. And moreover, these, these differences tend to follow a certain pattern. Uh, generations are different, but they're not randomly different. Certain kinds of generations always follow other kinds of generations. And that um, these uh, differences, the, these patterns associated to some of the larger historical patterns. Uh, that we've seen in not only American history, but in many other modern societies around the world, even some ancient societies. You know, Ibn Khaldun and Arnold Coynbee and many others have, have written about this. And that is the tendency of, of, of societies like ours to have huge civic and institutional turning points. Uh, periods of rapid transformation occur about the length of a long human lifetime, about every 80 or 90 years. You know, we go from you know, the, the, the glorious revolution, the worst Spanish succession, sort of late late uh, 17th century to the American Revolution, to the American Civil War, to the Great Depression and World War II. And, and guess what? Here we are, right? We're right back there again. And, and the basic insight there, um, and this would be Arnold Toynbee's sort of generational forgetting thesis, is that during crises, we shape generations of young adults who become extremely competent at, uh, at creating um, and uh, building and managing effective national institutions, right? That take care of the nation through times of trouble. And that these generations die off. And that these abilities are not passed on to their children, right? So in, almost invariably, the generation that leaves America as senior leaders through the next crisis invariably the one that was born just after the last race, right? I mean, you look at Abraham Lincoln's generation, born just after the Constitution and the founding of the American Republic. FDR and all the wise old men and women of, of World War II and the New Deal were born just after the Civil War. And look where we are now, all these aging boomers <laughs> born after World War II 
are fumbling around, you know, trying, uh, trying as, as best they can, and they, we're, we're finding out they can't do it very well, um, uh, direct America through the next crisis. Um, but, it's, but it's more important than that. It's the aging of all generations that actually pushes the country into a new mood. Uh, there's another interesting pattern, which is that roughly halfway between these great civic crises, they're the great awakenings of American history. These are the great periods of cultural and religious renewal. You could say that in the great crises, we reshape our outer world of politics and institutions and infrastructure. But in the awakenings, we reshape our inner world of religion and culture, values, right? Well, it turns out that um, generations, uh, you know, these awakening periods are just as important, just as interesting when you study history. Uh, boomers came of age during one, mm -hmm. the late 60s and 70s. Uh, many historians consider that America's fourth or fifth great awakening, depending on what you want to start your count with, you know, uh, John Winthrop or Jonathan Edwards. But every generation, every time it moves into a new phase of life, about every 20 or 22 years, uh, 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 pushes America into, or, or any society, into a new social mood. And so if you think of four basic generational archetypes, right? Each about 22 years long, it's about 90 years, right? Mm -hmm. So you can see how this is a, is a, is a sequence. This is an identifiable sequence uh, and we, we, we gave the names of turnings because they're like seasons. They're like spring, summer, fall, winter. Uh, the spring season would be like the post-war era, the post-crisis era. They'd be like the post-World War II American high, the late 40s, 1950s, early 60s. The silent generation famously was coming of age during that time. And uh, these are periods when institutions are strong, individualism is weak, uh, society feels a strong collective purpose of where it wants to go. Uh, the whole feels like it's more than the sum of its parts, you know, that, that kind of feeling. Uh, the awakenings are these periods um, when we throw off all social discipline, we tire of all that conformity, we want to become more individualistic, we want to become authentic people, right? And this is true of, of all the great awakenings. We, you know, we, we throw off the religion of works. We want to go back to the religion of faith, you know, from the collective to the interior. And uh, these are very individualizing periods uh, of history. And of course, that's when boomers came of age. That was kind of their leitmotif, right? They were the generation of individualism, doing your own thing, following your own life. Um, and as a result, I'm going to uh, play this right up to about five minutes to the hour, and then uh, I'll close up shop for the night. Gen Xers being the children of the awakening, kind of the throwaway kids of Woodstock. Uh, and, and they came of age with this third turning, which is the maximum individualism, the minimum of institutions. Uh, third turning decades in American history would be like the 1990s, the 1920s, the 1850s, the 1760s. These are decades of, of um, incivility and bad manners <laughs> when, yep. when no one really cares what uh, government or anyone else says to you. These are a uh, low ebb of any sort of civic uh, attachment. Uh, but history says that these third turnings always end in fourth turnings. And fourth turnings is when we suddenly realize that that kind of world is not meant for survival, right? and that we suddenly need, we need order. 
We don't need direction. We need authority. Uh, and we are usually shocked into that realization by a catalyst that suddenly plunges the nation into a very negative mood. Suddenly big institutions, particularly individualistic market institutions, no longer seem to work anymore. Um, and in fact, some of the big catalysts were great stock market crashes like 1857, 1929. And sooner or later, they ultimately uh, took us into great wars historically. I mean, total wars, not just wars, mm -hmm. total wars. I mean, this would be the total regimentation of society. But I, I think it's, um, it's interesting, this, this latest fourth turning, I think we entered in the time of the GFC, uh, 2008, 2009. Uh, and I think we're gonna be in it all the way until around the year 2030, right? So that's a good 22 years. Uh, so um, we always predicted that in the 2020s, we'd see an acceleration. In fact, Bill and I wrote a piece back in 1991, believe it or not, Chris, this was actually the cover story for American demographics. We did a, the big glossy piece on our theory of generations. And um, right there in the, in the title page in bold print was saying, you know, our prediction, America is headed for a great crisis right around 2020. So you can see it there. So that was uh, what? Uh, 20, 20, 29 years ago, something like that. Mm -hmm. um, but we did, we always thought that the 2020s would be kind of the decisive decade. Um, and so that kind of lays it out. I, I do think that the pandemic has an interesting correspondence to the turnings, not because fourth turnings are always triggered by a pandemic. Uh, they're not. They're often foreshadowed by one, as I do think that the um, that the, the crisis we had it from 1929 to through World War II was foreshadowed by the, the great, the great uh, Spanish flu, the great Spanish influenza of, of 1918, 1919, uh, right after World War I. It definitely um, magnified and accelerated uh, the movement away from globalism and internationalism around the world and heightened xenophobia in countries all over the world. It was, it was one of the big reasons why America closed the immigration window in 1920 and 21. And the 1920s became a decade of, of, um, of uh, you know, isolationism and, and sort of not much liking for foreigners in America. Uh, and what was one of the reasons why we had such a horrible memory of World War I, right? We didn't want to go back into that. And we just generally turned to, turned to anti-foreign in general. It was a xenophobic decade. Um, one interesting thing I find is that, you know, third-turning decades, third-turning, I should say, generations, third-turning moves are usually one of great openness, very little government control, borders are usually laxly enforced. Uh, the, great the great immigration waves in American history have usually occurred in, in, in uh, third turning. Um, but uh, I will say that one lesson of pandemics, going back to the, you know, the plague of the Antonines, the plague of Justinian, the, the, the uh, bubonic plague you know, that, that hit Europe starting in, in 1347, was that all of these plagues terminated eras of great openness. Because great openness is wonderful in, um, in promoting um, uh, you know, efficiency and, and innovation and experimentation in human societies. But they're also very good at promoting innovation and experimentation in pathogens. Hmm. Um, and 
we forget that uh, you know eight, 1347 was when you know we we you know we got the rats coming along the Silk Road, the fleas down into Genoa, into the ports, and so on. But that was after the Mongols came and opened up the whole trade route to China so that Marco Polo could freely go back and forth. This had been closed before, right? So suddenly that whole road was open. And the same way you look at these earlier periods, uh, particularly the plague of the Antonines, was when you could, set, you could go all the way from London and go all the way to India uh, completely unmolested. That's when the Roman Empire had its, uh, was at, at its uh, apogee. So, and this was really pointed out by um, uh, uh, William McNeil in his, in his classic, uh, Plagues and Peoples. I believe it was written in 1977. Uh, one of my great heroes at the University of Chicago. Uh, uh, and I believe that there are many people now writing sequels to that book. Uh, mm -hmm. But I, but I, I find that correspondence very interesting and apropos right now because it looks as though we're going into another period of xenophobia, raising of borders. You know, suddenly we're you know all the big power, all the great powers are now at odds with each other. We're we're more than in just a strategic competition with China. It looks like we're we're almost in a cold war with China, right? Mm -hmm. So this is not unusual. Uh, this kind of follows this this, this follows this general rhythm. Neil, that, thank you for that. Uh, just fabulous tour through that. So I want to talk about this fourth turning. What, one aspect of it that maybe I've overly focused on, but as, and you mentioned it earlier, is this idea of loss of faith in institutions. And so when we put the COVID-19 overlay on today, I think what it's done when I said it, it poured rocket fuel on the situation is I see a lot of people who had a lot of faith or some residual faith or even shaky faith in institutions, it really got shattered. And that's a really tough moment, I think, individually, personally, for somebody like if you trusted the CDC or the Surgeon General or, you know, the World Health Organization, and suddenly you have reason to call that into question. Um, I'm seeing that as a general motif now, including just yesterday reading about college students suing to get their tuition back because they didn't pay 50 grand to take a Zoom call with a professor, right? Um, so even it's extended to this idea that maybe the institutions of higher learning have, have been laid bare as institutions that are more interested in money than in educating or however that gets expressed, right? But I think that that, that I, I wish you, if you could comment in about that theme of loss of faith in institutions, because that feels like a, a really powerful ground shift in, in, in people's narrative uh, orientation. Well, I, I don't... I don't think it's quite so much that we're suddenly utterly crestfallen and shocked that institutions don't work. I think it's rather that we suddenly realize how much we need them. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's the difference, right? Oh, I don't think anyone cared two hoots about the CDC. I mean, you know, whether they trusted it or not. Now, interestingly, the CDC, Center for Disease Control, was originally called the National Security Center for Malaria Control back in World War II. And the GI generation coming out of World War II gave it names which clearly lent its priority to national security, right? And it, and it was designed to combat communicable diseases, and it was designed also to provide leadership for a very large network of public health workers in the United States. Um, I don't know if you recall, I mean, I recall in, in, as a kid, polio. Mm -hmm. And we had people went house to house. They, you know, states were well equipped with people to go house to house to track down polio infections. We used to have a large public investment in public health workers. You know, we talk about 
uh, testing and tracing today. Mm -hmm. We're utterly unable to test and trace today. And, and forget the testing. Everyone says, well, if only we had tests, we could do it. That's, that's only the first thing you need. <laughs> then you probably need, given the fact that I would estimate there are probably around a, a million people who are actively infected now, if you could measure them all. It's probably around 10 times the official count mm -hmm. uh, uh, being infected every day. Um, you would need maybe 300,000 people. And this is, you know, Scott Gottlieb and Tony Fauci, they all admit you would need, a, you would need an army of hundreds of thousands of people to actually have teams to actually do contact tracing. So we're nowhere, we, you know what I mean? We're, we're nowhere near the ability to actually implement a containment strategy, which you wouldn't need so many people if you'd started early, right? I mean, you know, we, Australia, New Zealand, Taiwan, you know, they, they don't need quite as many because they got to work early. We would need an army, uh, either that or we would need, um, we would need mitigation severe enough and long enough to get new infections way, way, way down so we could do this with a lower group. But what I mean is we lost that ability. It's a combination of the fact that, again, you remember I talked about generational replacement? The generation that really believed that government needed that kind of extra infrastructure to handle that kind of thing if it happened, they all went away. You had all these uh, you know, boomers and Xers who, I don't know, why do you need all that stuff? Why do you need all that infrastructure? All that extra spending, all that uh, all those people, what the hell do they do anyway? And we've got vaccines, we got all this high-tech medicine, and we can we can spend all of our enormous healthcare budget on you know pricey specialists to you know mend our bodies with uh, super expensive medicines and operations. I mean, I, in my opinion, my generation got completely insane in how they approached healthcare. But in any case, public health, what's that? I think that's the attitude of a lot of, of a lot of younger generations today. We're suddenly realizing, yeah, actually, it's pretty important, isn't it? So in so many ways, this COVID outbreak has, has pinpointed exactly America's weakness when you consider it. You know, the populist disdain for the expert, our very decentralized federal, you know, political organization with 50 separate governors. How are you going to do containment strategy when one premise of a containment strategy is not only do you have to totally clamp down on new cases, but you need tightly watched borders. I mean, look at New Zealand, look at, look at all these countries, right? If you, if you pursue containment as a policy, not only do you push a new infections way down and track them and test them all, but then you got to hugely police the borders and make sure no one's news coming in. So every single country that has an effective containment policy is policing its borders. Well, how's New York going to do that, <laughs> right? So that creates an additional problem. And I think, um, I think also we have this, you know, we're very libertarian in America, which, which I think in a lot of cultural contexts is a great thing. I mean, I, I prefer to live here. <laughs> I prefer to live in, a, in an ind individualistic country. Nonetheless, an issue like this exposes some of the weaknesses and some of the challenges, right? There are times when I think even individualists realize that you need effective top-down institutions. I think we realized that dur during the New Deal. I think we realized that when we went uh, to, you know, mobilize for, for a global total war during World War II. Um, and I think actually, and this is maybe the good news, I think most Americans realize that today. I was just looking at uh, surveys uh, uh, last couple of days on American attitudes toward shutdown rule. An overwhelming majority of Americans support them, 80%. There are actually twice as many Americans who say they think they should be more strict, 
22% than those who say that they, you know, they're too strict. And I know the media doesn't present that, you know, the media is looking at the, you know, the, the open up protesters and the pandemic people and all that stuff, right? But the fact is, is that most Americans actually are supportive, particularly when leaders provide consistent leadership and provide consistent messaging and, 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 um, uh, and, and are able to follow through and ensure people at least promise them that if everyone follows this, it will be out of the woods. We haven't had that kind of leadership, needless to say. Um, and as a result, people are pessimistic, I think. People get cynical a little bit, not because they don't know that, not because they, they don't suspect they know what actually is needed, but because they don't see that kind of leadership being offered right now. Yeah, I've, I've been distinguishing, and um, I don't think it's overly harsh, but the difference between leadership and, and managers. Uh, to be a leader, you have to be able to operate on imperfect information. You have to make tough decisions. You have to stand by them. You have to be willing to admit when you're wrong. You've got to course correct. There's a lot of things. I note that we have a lot of people that seem to be in manager uh, roles, at, and we call them leaders, but um, very, very little what I would actually call leadership in a time like this. So clear, consistent messaging, a clear sense of vision and where we're going. You know, given that, I have this, Neil, I have this great faith in humans. They can do amazing things as long as they know where they're going. People will willingly take a mudder challenge where they run through the woods in 40 degree weather and get cold. And, you know, it's just, an, it's like nobody would ever do that if they were forced to, because they would call it a baton death march. But if it's a goal of theirs and they want to do it, my gosh, they'll, they'll crawl through mud, right? Well, you, so, you, think, you think you're participating in something larger than yourself. I mean, it, it's, it's a whole thing of a spree and, and um, it, it, it's framing. And that's what a good leader can do. Yeah. It frames, you know, a good leader can frame things in the right way to motivate people to do things they wouldn't otherwise do. And I think uh, you're right about that. And I think also a good leader knows how to take risks. You know, if you're Winston Churchill, you sometimes have to say, I know, no, a lot of people agree with me. A lot of people think I'm making a big mistake, but I'm staking everything on this course, right? And um, that's, that's what a good leader sometimes has to do. Yeah. Well, let me talk about one institution where uh, that I think where I lost my faith. Um, so. All right. Fortunately or unfortunately, however you wish to put it. I'm going to leave it right there. Um, Because unfortunately, the time has got the time. It's, we're down to like three minutes remaining in the broadcast, and with no callers on the line, I'm going to take this opportunity to call it a night. But before I go, I'm going to render a final thought. No matter where we stand politically whether we're conservative, whether we're liberal, Democrat or Republican, independent or right to life, or even a member of, I don't even know if it's still a party, my rent's too damn high party. The fact is, we have a chance at making a difference. We can make a difference. 
the liberals, the liberal left has done everything humanly possible to destroy President Trump at every turn. And he's done everything he can to make our lives a little bit better. A little bit stronger. He hasn't been perfect at it. But he's tried very hard to make this country the very best it can be for you and for me. That'll do it for this edition of Firefox News Online. I'm George Sinzer, and for the comments I've made, that's the way it is from my perspective. Thanks to everybody for tuning in. And as always, you all be good, and if you can't be good, be careful. And if you can't be careful, please, for the love of God, do not name it after me. On that note, we're out of here. Good night, America. Thank you for tuning in to Firefox News Online. Firefox News Online is a production of Firefox News Online Productions. Any rebroadcast, transcript, either in whole or in part without the express written permission of Firefox News Online Productions and its owner, is expressly forbidden copyright 2020, all rights reserved. You can catch the links to Firefox News Online's broadcast by going to Facebook.com slash F-F-N-O-I-B-N. That's Facebook.com slash F-F-N-O-I-B-N. For the Firefox News Online Internet Broadcasting Networks. Hey, we'd like to hear from you, so send your comments to comments at FirefoxNewsOnline.com. That's comments at FirefoxNewsOnline.com. Also, any stories or topic ideas you might have, We'd like to hear from you. Send to WeReport at FirefoxNewsOnline.com. That's WeReport at FirefoxNewsOnline.com. Again, thank you for tuning in to Firefox News Online. I'm George Sinzer. Thank you so much for being here. We'll catch you next time. So let it be done.